You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. I uh, had a moment uh, in 2013, I believe. It was Memorial Day weekend. I think it was 2013. And it was probably one of the greatest moments of my life. And there's a lot of good moments in life. I mean, I've had two kids and I've, I've been married and, and, and a lot of those rank up there. But definitely among them is this one moment that's not one of those things. And let me tell you kind of how it went down. Uh, I was with five of my buddies. Uh, well, there are five of us total, four other buddies. And we, we do this thing every year where we go camping uh, or we do some kind of outdoorsy thing together just to kind of either get with our families or just get with the guys and do something to just unplug, okay? And so it was 2013, Memorial Day weekend, and we decided to go on this 25-mile canoeing trip where we canoed and ca- camped for two nights. And have you ever done any canoeing? And it's just so peaceful to be out and about in the creeks in the backwoods of, of, uh, of eastern North Carolina. And so we were up near the Roanoke River and in some back creeks back there, and it was, it was awesome. I mean, we had spent so much time bonding. We had, you know, burned meat on fire and eaten it. It doesn't get better than that. We ate fish directly out of the river. It was awesome. You know, all this kind of male bonding stuff. But to be truthful, we were exhausted. I mean, it was a long, long journey. And so, you know, 25 miles is a long way to paddle a canoe. And uh, we were getting the last leg of the trip, right? And we had planned it so that our trip would go in kind of a loop up through the river and through some creeks so that the last leg of our trip would actually be uh, with the flow of the river. We're going downstream. And so, brilliantly, because we're all geniuses, we got to that part, and finally, the hardest part was over. We tied our canoes, two canoes and a kayak, all together, and we created kind of this barge out of it, and we just kicked back, man. Oars out of the water, had some music playing on an iPhone or something, and we were just chilling. It was really, really peaceful. The, the temperature was perfect. It was like high 60s, low 70s. The sun was shining. It was Memorial Day weekend, and I tell you no lie when I say a bald eagle flew over our heads, and we were like, what? And we stood up, we said the Pledge of Allegiance, it was, it was cool. And so we were flying, it was just, it was awesome. But then this moment happened, one of the most awesome moments of my entire life. Somebody, I don't remember who it was, started singing a song. You probably know it. It's a song by Bob Marley, it goes kind of like this. You can join me if you know it. Don't worry about a thing. Everybody now, every little thing. It's going to be all right. We sang the whole song and we knew all the words and we were just like, oh. And it's in a perfect song, perfect moment, perfect temperature, perfect day, feet propped up. And that was the moment. And the thought went through my mind, this is living. Man, why can't every moment be this carefree? Why can't every moment be this peaceful? You ever had moments like that? Maybe for you it was a snow day. You have one of those snow days where you're just like, look, can't go anywhere. It's, we're, we're, we're home. Just sit inside, make a pot of soup, and know where to be. Maybe it wasn't snow day. Maybe it was a vacation that you had or a honeymoon. Maybe for you, we live at the beach, right? It, it was the perfect surfing day. You paddle out, you're on your board, and it's you and, the, and no one else in the world. And you're laying there, it's the perfect day. Or maybe you're laying on your, on your towel or your blanket, and you're on your stomach, and the sun is beaming on your back, and you're just like, oh, man, this is... This is living. Why can't every day be this carefree? Why can't every day be this peaceful? I want to flip that coin now. Because here's what we know. Most days aren't floating down the river, feet kicked up, singing Bob Marley songs, are they? No, many days are (laughs) like the complete opposite. 
totally opposite. It's the daily grind, it's the rat race, and you know, you get up and you're running five minutes late for this, and you got to get there, and by the time you get there, you forgot your wallet, and you realize that it's going to be $10 more than you thought it was going to be, and you know what I mean? And there's real things happening, and instead of this peace and this serenity that we wish we could have every day, it's something else. Instead of that, it's, it's stress, it's anxiety, it's worry. Isn't that the opposite of that day on the river, you know? Worry, anxiety, stress. Anxiety is a serious thing that's going in our culture today. Today, um, I want to start with a question. Uh, the question is very simple. How can we find peace in this world full of worry? Is it even possible? When we talk about anxiety, I mean, it's a word that we kind of throw around, but it's a serious condition. I, I looked up uh, the, um, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, uh, that's adaa.org if you want to look and do some research for yourself on things that might be going on in your life. According to uh, this organization, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults in the U.S. alone. And that's, that's about 18% of the adult population according to this website. That is, that's a lot of people. And you don't have to get very far or live very long to realize that that's probably true. That anxiety, that stress, that worry, it burdens on us and it's something that we really have to manage and deal with. What do you do about it? Where do you take that worry? Where do you take that stress? How do you manage that anxiety? Is it even possible? And most importantly, I think is a question that we all yearn for is how do I find peace? How do I dump that mess off and get to a different place? Because I don't want that. It's not what I want in my life. We're in the final week of this series, Lose Myself. Lose Myself has been a fun journey. Uh, and you see the tagline there, finding Jesus by letting go of control. And so after the last several weeks, we learned there are several areas of our life that we really want to control, but we just can't. There's some things in our life that we just can't get the reins on. We can't pull the strings on. We can't find the steering wheel on. Use whatever metaphor you want and cliche, but there's parts of life that you just can't control. And part of the art of getting through life is learning to let go of control and finding a source a power that can handle it right but if you're like me which i think a lot of you are in this way you don't want to let go of control do you it's, it's nice to feel like you've got some control some semblance of control i was doing some reading on worry and anxiety this week and i came across dr paula bloom paula bloom is a uh, clinical psychi psychologist uh and she's a contributing blogger to pbs.org and she's written a series of articles about worry and peace and anxiety and, and the whole situation there. And, and she has this very eye-opening definition for worry I want to share with you today. Okay, this is her. In fact, I'll read her whole quote here, but here's her definition. She says, worry is our mind's way of having the illusion of control. Let me say that again because you might be like, yeah, yeah. And you might be like elbowing your wife or your husband right now. I told you. Worry is the mind's way of having the illusion of control. Listen to what she says. It's like the mind says... Well, I can't do anything in this situation. Let me worry about it so at least I can feel like I'm doing something. You know what I'm talking about? We think the worrying somehow keeps uh, something on our mind so that we can solve the problem. Well, guess what? Worrying drains you to the point where you have less emotional, mental, or physical resources to actually generate any solution at all. Worry is our mind's way of having the illusion of control. For starters, I want to say this, like, anxiety is a serious problem, okay? And, and if you suffer from anxiety, 
uh, you know, I've made a little tongue-in-cheek jest at it here just a few times and laughing. It's, it's something we can kind of laugh at ourselves. But seriously, if, if anxiety is something that you battle with and struggle with, I want to encourage you to really find some professional help. Uh, it's something that can shut you down. Like, as you well know, it can freeze you. And I want to encourage you today to go maybe to this website. I'll share it with you again. Uh, where was it? ADAA.org. Check it out. There's some resources there. And uh, you can make a note on your connection card if you want to try to get connected with somebody in town that can help you professionally. And we'd be glad to try to work that out for you. But anxiety is a serious thing. But here's the thing. I know that in addition to being uh, the, the result of our circumstances and maybe some of our genetics and some of our chemistry in our body, there's also something spiritual going on there. I'm a firm believer in that. In fact, I believe I'm an example of how that plays out in real life. Um, see, worry has been part of the human condition for a long time. I think worry began probably when the first mom saw the first son climb too high in a tree. You know, oh, don't be careful. You're going to fall down. You're going to break your leg. Every kid thinks he's going to break his arm from falling out of a tree. Why? Because their mom told him that's what happened. You climb trees, you break your arm. And so worry is just, it's just quintessential to our thinking because we want to be able to control things that are outside of our scope of ability to control. Worry's been around for a long time, so it's no surprise that Jesus dealt with worry. When Jesus talks in the Bible, he talks about worry. We talk about Jesus every week here, but I just want to clarify Jesus. Who is that? Jesus is God who became human. God looked down at our condition on the earth and said, I need to go down there and be with them to connect them with me. They, that we, we've gone astray from him. We've sinned. We've done things that don't honor him. And that in turn separates us from him because he is without sin. He's pure. And he says, the only way back to me is if I go down and help. And so he comes to earth in the form of a human man that we name Jesus. He calls himself Jesus. Jesus. And so uh, maybe you don't believe that. I I like to take the point to say this as often as possible. Maybe maybe you don't believe that Jesus is God. Um, I'll give you that. That's kind of crazy that any human would claim to be God, right? Because if I told you from stage, by the way, I'm God, you would all leave because that's crazy. The only way that you could somehow verify that you are God is to show up with your actions, your abilities, your words, your spiritual presence. There's only one way that you could do that, and that would be a holistic approach and say, yes, I'm God completely. And so when you look at Jesus' life, I believe that he meets those criteria. But I don't think it's something that we can just flippantly say. So I want to invite you, just in case you you haven't had the chance to really explore this, uh, we offer a class uh, about twice a year called Venture Basics. And the next session of that starts on March 1st. And uh, we've been going through it for a couple, uh, a couple of sessions now. And we're kind of honing it in on where we want to be on that thing. March 1st will be the next session of Venture Basics. And in one of those weeks, it's a six-week class. We do it right here at the YMCA in a classroom up in the back. But we spend one, one class period almost the entire time talking about all the reasons and evidences that exist to somehow believe that Jesus is who he says he was. And so I want to invite you to do that. If you're interested in Venture Basics, make a note on that yellow or orange connection card that you had in your seat, uh, and you'll get the emails about that as they come around. But back to Jesus and worry, okay? Anxiety, worry. Here's the thing. The world that Jesus lived in, first century Palestine, this was a world that you could live in and be worried. You ever seen the movie The Crudes? You ever seen that movie? If you haven't, it's on Netflix. It's like these cavemen, and they're terrified of everything because... They're cavemen, and there's dinosaurs, and, you know, it's a funny movie. You should really watch it. Um, People in first century Palestine aren't living in the same conditions, but I'm telling you what, there there was a lot of poverty. There was homelessness. There was this pain that existed in the world. The Roman Empire had come in and kind of of, uh, pushed their, their culture and their values aside somewhat so that now these people are having to raise their children in kind of a pseudo Jewish, pseudo Greek and Roman world, and there's a lot of distrust there's 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 corrupt tax collectors that are trying to take everybody out of their money it's a mess 
And so the human condition and worry sets in heavy with these people that Jesus is working with. In fact, it's, it's actually the fact that Jesus spoke the way he did among these people who had so much to worry about that attributed to so many people following him. Because Jesus said things that really made sense to these people. They're living in hard times. And Jesus is talking about this new kingdom. He's talking about a different way of living. And every time he opens his mouth, he seems to bring hope. And by the way, he can heal people who are suffering from fatal you know, diseases. And so, wow. Before long, Jesus has gathered thousands of followers who are just hanging on his every word. Some of them are there just for the show. But many of them just going, just tell us a way out, Jesus. You say there's a plan. You say there's a way. We're going to be checking out some of what Jesus had to say about worry today. It's going to be in your Bibles, uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, uh, oh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 25. If you've got a Bible, turn there. The book of Matthew is in the, the last, about third of the Bible, which we call the New Testament. The New Testament is the teaching in the Bible about Jesus and the early church. Um, and Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. Uh, you can find it in your index of your Bible as well. we got free Bibles we give away. If you're new here and you didn't uh, hear that before, there's several that are kind of spread out among your chairs. There's also some free ones there by the back by the coffee. Um, and we'll also have it on the screen here. Plenty of options. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6. And as, as, Matthew's as Jesus is addressing this group of people, in Matthew chapter 6, we land smack in the middle of what is the longest collection of Jesus' teachings that we have together, all in one place. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of times when Jesus was teaching, he'd be traveling from place to place, and there wasn't some amphitheater he'd go to. They wouldn't set up a stage and some chairs and a gymnasium. He would just be wherever he was. And a lot of times that was in a field or on the side of a hill or the side of a mountain. And so this collection of teachings has been called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and we're going to be in chapter 6, starting at verse 25. And Jesus talks to this worried group of people about life. Let's just look at just verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Now, Jesus is going to keep on talking here for a minute, but I want, to, I want to unpack this little verse here. Let's just leave it on the screen for a few minutes. Because first he looks at this and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Worry is the key word of this passage. It happens about six times that he says worry in this whole section that we're going to read here. And worry can be defined in a few different ways. We said a minute ago, Dr. Paula Bloom said Murray, worry is the mind's way of creating the illusion that you have control, right? Um, and I want to kind of give us a, a more honed-in definition as to what Jesus is talking about today. Maybe it's this. This is the definition I'm working with today. That worry is living in fear of potential things that you have no control over. These are things that haven't happened yet, right? Would you agree with that? Did you have had worry in your hot life? They haven't happened yet. They're potential things. But, key phrase, you don't have any control over them. So we worry. And this is the key word. We live in fear because of that. We live in fear of the potential things that we have no control over. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, therefore I tell you, do not think about your life. He doesn't say that. He wants us to think. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to make good decisions. He doesn't think that we should just go around like, you know what, carefree, whatever. I'm just going to take it as it comes. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to make friends. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to... He doesn't say, don't think about your life. He says, don't worry. Don't live in fear of the things that you can't control. And as he does this, he kind of breaks down two categories of uh, what I would call our needs. Two categories of our needs. And he does it right here in this first verse. The first set of needs, I think we would call maybe our critical needs or our survival needs. You see what he says there? He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat 
or what you will drink. It's a category of needs. These are the things that are critical. These are survival-based needs. It's easy to worry about these things. If you've ever been in any form of poverty, it's easy to worry about these things. If you've ever had any certainty, uncertainty about just kind of where life is going, it's easy to worry about these things. The question of, you know, will we make ends meet? Will we be able to put food on the table? Will I be able to pay rent? Am I going to find a job? Will I keep my job? You know, they're making cuts right now at work. It's easy to worry about these things. And notice Jesus doesn't say, don't think about your life. He doesn't say, well, it looks like they're making cuts at work. Just hang in there. It'll work out. No, go find another job if you feel like you need to go find another job. Don't worry about it. These are critical needs, and Jesus cares about our critical needs. Um, instead, he's saying living in fear and anxiety over these things so that you can't function, it's not going to do you any good. Don't worry about whether you will eat or whether you will drink. That's the first category, kind of critical needs. He's going to flush that out in just a second. The second category non-critical needs or non-survival based needs okay these are the things that i'm going to kind of put in the category of status or um advancement status or advancement these are the things that, that aren't necessary for survival but they're kind of nice to have he says here don't worry about the clothes that you wear and he's going to talk about some more things in just a minute but clearly some of us are worried about advancement promotion we're concerned about reputation aren't we and acquisition what do we look like? How are we going to get there? How are we going to get it? We're worried about our raises. We're worried about new cars. And we want to know, will I be recognized? Will I get married? Am I going to be able to get pregnant? These things like, you know, we can survive without these things. And those are serious issues. But sometimes they just freeze us up. Because we can't control the outcome. Um, so he addresses these two categories of needs. The critical needs and the non-critical needs. And then we're just going to put this last phrase up here from that that. That, past, that paragraph, he says this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's kind of a rhetorical question that I just want to put out there for us as well. Isn't, isn't there more to life than just eating and drinking and getting ahead? Isn't there more to life than just surviving and having nice stuff? Isn't there more than I don't know. I don't know what, what you would think. But here's, here's a way to think about that. Let's say that uh, you were interested in this, so you hired a, I don't know, private investigator to come follow you around for a week and listen to all your phone calls and watch all your text messages and see the movies that you watch and the things you spend your time on, your money on. What would that person conclude? Would that person conclude that the only thing that mattered in your life was eating, drinking, and, and, and staying clothed? Or, or would there be more to it than that? I think the obvious answer is well, there's, there's something else, right? There's, there's joy or, there's, or there's, there's something else that we seek. It's just a question to kind of chew on. Because Jesus goes on and explains it. Let's look at verse 26. Let's, let's just see how he answers this question, because he's going to. Verse 26. First, I imagine he's teaching in this field, and he looks up and he sees maybe some birds flying by. Jesus is a very practical teacher. He used the things that were right around him to explain what he was trying to say. Um, any good teacher would do that. And so he says, look, look at the birds of the air. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. They're not farmers. <laughs> Yet, their Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? When it comes to the critical needs of our life, the survival needs, Jesus starts by comparing us to birds. It's funny, last week we talked about seagulls. If you were here, remember? Mine, mine, mine. Some ways we're like seagulls, but either way, God's taking care of us, and He compares us to birds. It, it's fascinating to see how constantly birds are working uh, we love watching birds in our house and uh, last week it rained a whole lot Do you remember that and our, our yard has this awesome habit that when it rains 
our yard then becomes a lake. Does that happen to your house? So then we get skis and we play in the yard. And so anyway, the, we look out the window and there's like this small flock of, it's probably 50 or 60 little black birds. I don't know what they were. And they were just working. They were digging in the mud because these drowning worms were trying to come up for air, I guess. And there's worms and there are bugs and they were just loving it, right? Birds are diligent workers. But you know, God didn't create the world with birds in it and then go, oh, shoot, I forgot to make bugs and worms. Shoot, shoot. No, he didn't do that. Because God gave the birds everything they need. They work for it. Remember, it doesn't say don't think about your life. They worked for it, but they don't worry about it. He says, look at the birds. They eat, they drink. And this is his question. Don't you realize that you're more important to God than birds? Here's something I want to point out. Birds' lives aren't all worms and bugs. It's not all wonderful. I mean, because there's the occasional hurricane, snow, snowstorm, right? Little boy with a BB gun. Uh, it's a dangerous world out there for birds. But how many birds do you think wake up in the morning in their little nest going, I'm not getting out of bed. I am not getting out of bed today. Little boy got a BB gun. I'm not getting out of bed today. It's not happening. Don't you know that your heavenly father loves you more than the birds? He's going to take care of you. And he says, how many of you by worrying are going to add an hour to your life? Let's get up. Let's keep moving. Let's see where life goes. And so that's how he addresses the critical needs. He talks about birds and then he switches to something else in nature. I imagine over in a field there were just a, a field of flowers. And he points over there. This is verse 28. And he says, and, and why do you worry about clothes? We're going to get to these non-critical needs. See how the flowers in the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon might be somebody that you don't think about very often, ever, maybe. Uh, Solomon was the most wealthy king in Jewish history. Okay, so let's just, let's just transplant him in our story with um, Bill Gates, okay? Bill Gates or, or Donald Trump, okay? So look at the flowers of the field. Don't you think that Donald Trump in all of his splendor was better dressed, or not better dressed than one of these flowers? The flowers are taken care of in verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. The point that he made about the birds is very similar to the point that he makes about the flowers. You can see that. He's just kind of saying, like, look at nature. See how God takes care of nature. Except whereas the birds really have to work hard to get their worms and their bugs. How hard does a flower work, really? You know, just kind of like, you bum. Like, <laughs> just... You sit there taking in the sun, photosynthesizing, you know, and that's a science word. It's on Wikipedia. You can look it up. And making food for yourself. How easy is that? But, but the point is pretty well taken because I, when Jesus says this phrase, look at the flowers of the field. Actually, uh, that's a really good translation of that, but a more literal translation is it's cool to think about. Because what he was saying literally in the language that he was speaking was, Learn from the flowers of the field. Let me say that again. Jesus says, learn from the flowers of the field. And um, I'd like to do that today. I got a picture of a flower. Um, I think I do. Yeah, it's a power flower. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a lily of some kind. It was a calla lily was the flower at my wedding. See, I remember that. We had calla lilies at our wedding. Didn't we? I'm talking to my wife, not just this random lady on the front row. <laughs> Ma'am? <laughs> Can I get you flowers? This thing's beautiful, though. It's a lily of some kind because I Googled, image searched it, and that's what came up, lily. Um, it's beautiful. It's simple, but it's pretty, isn't it? 
Now, I want you to take this flower and just examine it. Let's, let's learn from the flowers of the field real quick. In your mind, I want to go to your favorite clothing store. And I challenge you to find a piece of clothing that is more beautifully and more purposefully designed than this flower. See, see God, God is a God of beauty. I think that sometimes we get in the mindset that if we don't worry and stress to get ahead and get to the next step on the, on the path, that somehow life is going to be boring. That if I can't just try really, really hard and push myself to this goal that I've set for myself, life is going to be boring. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. God is not a boring God. He is not a boring God. If you, if, this is flowers. He was just using it as an illustration. But, man, just check out nature. Go down, go down to the aquarium down south of town and check out some fish for a little while. Man, God is a God of variety and color and depth and not of boredom and, and go to a zoo and look at all different animals or just go in your yard and watch a tree. Sounds boring, but just look up and watch a tree. Watch all the variety of life fly in and out of that place and tell me that God is boring. Sometimes we get so excited about controlling our own life because we want it to be so exciting. And God says, you kidding me? I invented excitement. Adventure is my middle name. Except I'm not sure what God's middle name is for real. But God is not a boring God. Learn from the flowers of the field. There's no reason to get stressed out about the perfect haircut or the newest phone or the fastest computer or the nicest car with the best gas mileage or the newest house, the best one in the neighborhood. Because the best you can do is trust God with what he's given you. I love about this lily. You never hear a lily saying, I wish I was a rose. And so often we wish we were something else. Somebody else, a different shape. And God says, learn from the lilies. Learn from the flowers of the field. Trust God, do your best, and he won't let you down. Now this verse, uh, this last verse of Jesus' sermon kind of gets, gets to the head of things. He says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 31, he says, so don't worry. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? The pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows what you need. Even people, he calls them pagans. These people who don't trust in God, don't believe in God. He says, even them, they, pay, they chase after these things. And I don't, I don't blame people for chasing after material things. Because it seems like it's the right thing to do sometimes, doesn't it? It seems like it should be. But then he uses this, this twist of words. He talks about worry. He talks about running after these things that are temporary. And then he changes words. And I'm going to look at the next verse. The word is seek. We're going to look at verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Because each day has enough trouble of its own. We're not an amen type church, but can I get an amen on that? I mean, every day got enough stinking worries of its own. And I can't get through today. Some people come to me a lot of times. Um, I, I lead this organization, if you want to call it a church an organization. I lead a couple other organizations as well. And people will come to me and they're stressing out about things that are like not even on my radar sometimes. And they're like, have we thought about how we're going to do such and such? I'm just like, I'm just trying to get to lunchtime. Like, can we just get through today? My kids are like that. Well, are we going to play a board game tonight? Well, we got to get through supper first. Like, can we just, can we get through this moment? Right? Jesus says, each day has enough worries of its own. Let's let God worry about those things. 
it's here that Jesus answers this question. He says, in life, more than just food and drink and clothes, isn't it? He says, yes. Yes, it is. Life isn't about just surviving to another day or advancing to the next stone on a path. It's about something eternal. Look what he says. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If you want to set your mind on something, set it on that. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And maybe seeking God isn't on your radar today. Uh, maybe, uh, I've said, I said it so many times here, you're here uh, for a variety of reasons. You came with a friend. Maybe you want to give church a chance, but you just don't even really know where to start. But this idea of seeking a kingdom is just something like, I don't even know where to start with that thing. But here's the thing. I, I'm going to guess that we're all seeking in some form. We're seeking peace. That's why we go through life trying to find a better thing. Because we're trying to find a place where we can be happy. And sometimes seeking peace is like when I lose my car keys, and it happens to me way more often than it should. But I'm running through my house, I'm like flipping over couch cushions and sliding back the dresser and looking in all these places and the pockets of the pants that I wore yesterday, and then I realize you wear the same jeans every day, Chris. You have them on right now. And you're like, where are my keys? You know what I'm talking about? And you're looking, and maybe you're looking for peace like that. You've looked everywhere. You looked everywhere. You've tried everything. You've tried different uh, organizations, like you've gotten involved in some, some community things, civic things that are great, but just haven't found that peace that you're looking for. Maybe you tried bad things maybe, and, and substance abuse and, and addiction has, has been like, man, if I, could just, if I could just drown my sorrows in the bottom of this bottle or with one more pill or one more drag of this smoke, if I could just do that. But it, and underneath that cushion is nothing. And then what happens? Things pile up and we get stressed out. We get worried and anxiety takes over. And this is what Jesus says. Don't chase over that after those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what does that mean? Well, I think it's something that we could get pretty deep on and complicated on, but I think that the entry-level idea is pretty simple. Jesus says seek the kingdom. It's, it's more about focusing on God's way because a kingdom implies what? A king. Find God's way. What, what is God's code for you? What is, what is his mor- moral expectation for you? What is his dream for your life? Well, it's not under a couch cushion. To seek the kingdom of God means to seek godly things. If you're here at church today for the first time, man, you're, you're on a good start. If you've been coming for several weeks, several months, and several years, and you're still trying to find what it means to find peace, I'm going to tell you, you found a good start in this. But continue the quest. Open the Bible and read it. Get into good Christian community where you can have conversations. Don't isolate yourself like a hermit living in a cave with a bunch of Christians and we're scared the world's going to hurt our children. Get out. But make sure you've got a core group of people that can influence you with kingdom of God principles, not kingdom of this world principles. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to tell you what happens if we don't do that. I'm only going to use my life because I can't judge you, right? We don't do that in 2015. I can't judge you. I'm going to judge me though and you can all judge me. Feel free. When I get worried, when I get stressed, when I get anxious and I'm not seeking the kingdom of God, here's what I do. I panic and I start grabbing for everything I can to get control. I might, I might have said something to someone and just completely offended them. I might, have, uh, I might have broken some rule or done something bad that has got me in trouble, whether it was with my wife or I was breaking the speed limit. 
And I could talk my way out of it, but the truth was I was going like 12 over the speed limit. You know, come on. And so we start trying to pull together our own excuses and we start trying to grab control of the wheel and pull the strings and do all these things. Why? Because I want control. And Jesus says, no, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Because when I start trying to do things my way, God's values go out the window. And I make up my own values. Maybe that's you. But when I start seeking God's values in my life, I start finding out what is it that He would want me to do in this situation. There may be consequences to pay. If I did something wrong, i got to man up and deal with that. There may be things that carry on for years after that because of what happened. But God's not going to let me down. I want to close with just a story of how this really worked in my life. It was the summer of 2011. Two years before that awesome canoe trip, and uh, I was in a different place. I had done probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I had quit my job. I was working, at, and I was working at a church, and I was uh, a youth minister, and I was working with teenagers, and I had a good salary, and I had a house that I liked, and we loved our community, and uh, we loved our city, and we loved being there. We wanted to raise our kids in that place. But something crazy happened as I was kind of praying and seeking the kingdom of God. And you seek the kingdom of God, sometimes he'll surprise you and, 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 and give you things that you didn't ask for. And this thing got laid on my heart, and, and this is what it was. I think that I should go and start a new church somewhere. What? What kind of crazy egotistical maniac thinks that? You know, I'm going to go start a church somewhere. Everybody follow me. And, and, and the truth is, that thought crossed my mind many, many times. Who am I? Who am I to go anywhere and try to say anything to anybody? But then on the other side of that coin, here's what you get. Look around town. Churches everywhere. They don't start themselves. Every church began because one person or a group of people, a family or an organization says, yeah, the, the church needs to be in that area. And we're going to go and we're going to be the people who make that happen. So I'm teetering on this whole thing. And I, on one side, we're talking to me and my wife and we're excited about what God's like opening up for us. And, and I quit my job because this opportunity had opened to go to Charlotte for a year and be kind of an apprentice to this guy who had started a church. And it was cool to get that opportunity because I didn't know what in the world it meant to start a new church. And I didn't know what it meant to go and do things like that. And so I, I, went, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this. It seems so right. So I quit my job and I go into from everything comfortable to everything terrifying. And we're getting ready to move to Charlotte. Now, on the one hand, at the beginning, it was really exciting, and we felt like we're doing this God thing, and it's awesome, and it's exciting. But as it started to get real, as we're packing boxes, as we're looking at finances, and I realized, like, I don't have, like, the next job. Like, <laughs> worry sneaks in. So it's 2007. It was summer, and I was at this summer camp that I work at as a volunteer every summer. And, uh, and I remember I was having these really hard mornings where I'd wake up, and I just couldn't focus. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm letting my family down. Like I'm the, I'm the main breadwinner of our family and, and I'm supposed to be taking care of my kids. And what kind of craziness am I dealing with? And I didn't know it then, but now I know because I've since been through some counseling. Uh, I was having daily, I was having anxiety attacks. Yeah. And, and, and if you never had an anxiety attack, some of you have, so you nod in your head. Uh, if you never had an anxiety attack, it's kind of like uh, you just got hit by a truck and then you're scared you're going to get hit by a truck. At the same time. Oh, and it's just constantly like, 
You can't settle. You can't settle because your head is spinning. Why? Because you're worried. Because there's something you can't control and you can't get your hands around it. And so in this moment, I, I, I was in a bit of a panic and I go and I text my wife because I was at camp. She was at home with the kids. And I text her and it was just something like, I'm freaking out. I have no idea what we're doing here. Uh, I, why did I quit my job? I'm so sorry. I'm the worst husband in the world. I'll do better. I can Maybe they'll hire me at Starbucks, you know. And I was freaking out. And my wife, to compare and contrast the two of us, it's kind of funny because I'm typically the one who's uh, in a canoe with my feet kicked back singing Bob Marley songs. My life motto has always been chill out, okay? That's just who I am. Like, relax, dude. It's going to be cool. People are like, you say dude too much. I'm like, yeah, dude. You know what I'm saying? My wife, and she's not a worry wart by any stretch, but my wife is methodical. I mean, she's got charts and graphs and spreadsheets for everything. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, we sit, we sit down and we look at something together, and I'm like, it'll be cool. And she's like, um, no, this is math. You, that, it'll be cool is not an appropriate response in a math equation. So that's the two of us, and we're talking. And, and, and so in, in this moment where I text her, I'm stressed out, I don't know what to do. I love her for the rest of my life for many reasons, but also for what she did here. She didn't call me and... And, and freak out with me. Uh, she didn't send me like a 500-word text message to tell me that I was an idiot. And I, I, What she did was she sent me one simple text message, and it was a Bible verse. And it was, it was this, this text message right here. It said Philippians 4, 6 through 7. That's all it said. Now, here's uh, my first reaction was like, don't preach to me. Don't send me Bible verses. I'm freaking out here. I need real help. I'm the preacher. Tell me about the Bible. But... After I got over myself, I sat down with my Bible, opened it up, and I opened it up to Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and this is what it says. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, it will guard our hearts and our minds In Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. I read that verse. I stopped dead in my tracks. Because I'd seen it before, but it had never hit me like it did that day. And I realized, okay, yeah, I'm freaking out. Don't be anxious about anything. But what do I do, God? Oh, thank you for telling me. But in every situation, in Thanksgiving sent your request to God. So I'm sitting there in this moment and I don't know what to do. So I'm like, okay, Thanksgiving, fine. I've been at Thanksgiving. I like turkey. Um, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Well, I'm thankful that I'm sitting in the shade under this tree right now. That's good. It's a hot day. That's good. I'm thankful that I have these shoes on my feet. Oh, these are pretty nice shoes. I like them. Oh, and I have clothes on the rest of my body. That's good. Oh, and I have two healthy children and I've got a happy marriage. And I put gas in the car before I got here. And we didn't go bankrupt then. It's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I've eaten two meals today. And my list began to get longer and longer and longer. And here's what I realized. I realized I'm the bird. I'm the flower. God had taken care of me up to this point. And what he's saying is, listen, I'm not going to drop you on your face right now. There might be something you need to learn. It might just be that I'm in control and you're not. But I love you more than the bird and I love you more than the flower. And I I learned in that moment, God had got me this far, so why would he drop me off now? Now, I got to tell you, the anxiety continued for months and months and months after that. 
I'm not going to pretend like I sat down and huzzah, I've been healed of anxiety. I did have to spend some time in counseling to get through it. I didn't realize that I took on so much stress on myself. But through it all, what I saw day by day, step by step, was that God didn't leave me hanging. Here we are, it's 2015. And Venture Church is the fruit of the seeds that God planted in my heart a long time ago. I can't take any credit for it because I was freaking out and ready to quit, go work at Starbucks. No offense to anyone who actually works at Starbucks. You're lovely people. And maybe that's not where you feel like God has you right now, planting churches and doing missions work. And But was it, what is it that you're stressing out about? What is it that you're worried about? The awesome thing that happened to me from verse 7 was this. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I still don't know what's going to happen with the rest of my life. I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. It's got enough worries of its own, right? But I love this word, will guard your hearts and minds. That word, it means, it's a military word. And it's a word that could be used in the context of like a soldier or like a garrison of soldiers. It's a guard, someone standing post, keeping watch. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And when we can return to this peace of God knowing I'm the bird, I'm the flower, he's gotten me this far, he's going to get me the next step. That peace comes over you and he stands by your heart. And he doesn't let the anxiety and the stress come in and take over and shut you down and freeze you up. What do you do with your stress? What do you do with your worry? How do we curb this anxiety in our life? Here's my suggestion. Lose yourself. Lose yourself. Turn it over. Turn the weight of it over to Jesus. Pray. Be thankful. Because it's about letting control go of control and letting God do what God does best. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we love you. And I just praise you for the lessons you've taught me. Sometimes I open your Bible and um, there's just this sense that I need to open it up and somehow find something inspirational to say and then you teach me and you say learn from the flowers and I say thank you this morning I just pray that if anything I said this morning uh, got to the heart of anyone that, that it might be the fact that you love us enough to come to the world and save us that our stress and our anxiety and our worry can be can be dampened and even destroyed by the peace that you bring I pray for peace over this community we live in a rough time. Um, bad things happen all over the place. And I pray for peace. I pray for peace around the world, not just economic and political peace, but that we can really find uh, this common ground that's in your love. We love you. And uh, I just ask that you bless the rest of our day and keep us in your way. And help us to seek your righteousness. And pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.